0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Dalley. Our guest this week is President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, Tom Slate. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Learn more about the Bayer Bee Care Program at beehealth.bayer.us. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Tom Slate, next. While growers and beekeepers may seem unlikely friends... The work within both industries easily intersects to create positive environmental impact all around. That's why Bayer created the CARE program. CARE is an acronym reminding growers to communicate, be aware, reduce dust and ensure correct planting practices to reduce risk to pollinators during planting season. Now in its sixth year, Bayer encourages growers to embrace responsible stewardship practices with four simple tips. Communicate planting activities with neighboring beekeepers. Be aware of wind speed and direction during planting. Help reduce the amount of dust released by using Fluency Agent Advanced as their seed lubricant and ensure seed is planted correctly. Visit beehealth.bear.us for more information on land and product stewardship. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. U.S. trade tariffs and threats of escalating trade tensions between major trading partners has dominated news headlines over the past several weeks. Tom Slate with the U.S. Grains Council says they remain on task with maintaining and growing global markets for U.S. feed grains. Slate says the Trump trade agenda is challenging.
1: I think to be kind of kind, Jeff, I would say customers are customers are really paying close attention. A lot of them are, are, are paying close attention to what happens with NAFTA as sort of a, uh, an indicator of what may happen, you know, if negotiations, uh, expand with their countries. Um you know, we heard this a little bit in Japan, uh, we've heard it other places. Uh, I think it, it just sort of adds an element of, um, you know, what's the U.S.'s commitment to trade, uh, how, what's going on, Um, you know, can we rely on you? And, you know, we basically say yes. But uh, it does raise some eyebrows around the world.
0: Is this administration doing the dirty work of some other administrations that allowed trading partners to get by with things that we really should have called their hand on long ago? Yeah, there's there's an element of that, Jeff. But particularly
1: when, you know, in China, and, you know, from my point of view, uh, the, all the products the U.S. Grains Council represents, corn, sorghum, barley, and um, their co-products, you know, we, we've we been shut out of the China market uh, for the last several years. Yeah, sure, we had a breakthrough a little bit with sorghum in terms of them removing their preliminary duties, anti-dumping duties, and countervailing d- duties. But uh, we've been, uh, you know, having a lot of battles with China. You know, for me, since 2010, we've been involved in some pretty gnarly uh, policy battles with China, biotech, anti-dumping, countervailing duties, all this sort of thing put together. So... Yeah, there's an element for us that uh, let's try to get some of these things negotiated and and, uh, let's get back to uh, some solid ground for business.
0: Tom, because of the agenda that we see now from the White House, has it cost us markets from your perspective? And are they gone forever? And how much work would it take to bring them back if they have been lost?
1: Right now, I would say we haven't lost anything yet. We're concerned about the China business uh, because... As with almost every agricultural product, China represents a tremendous market for the future in, in a number of different aspects. Um, you know, there is concern. Obviously, we've been very concerned about the Mexican business, uh, but you know, we keep hanging in there. We're, we're doing fine right now in Mexico, but there is a sort of a new tension out there in the marketplace. But right now, U.S. products are very competitive, and we are, we're doing well.
0: And I'm going back to the winter. You had just come back from Mexico. And recall some end users who had suggested they didn't see the U.S. as a reliable supplier. And not long after that, meetings taking place between Mexico and Brazil and Argentina looking at new sources for their feed grains.
1: Yeah, that happened. And then what happened after that, Jeff, is that market conditions came into play. The Brazilians were having, you know, the strikes. Uh, The U.S., you know, became very competitive on price. And uh, for, let's see, April and May, I think we returned to 100% market share and very aggressive imports by Mexican buyers. Now, you know, some might say that that's, you know, pre- preparing for the worst for you know, a negative outcome on NAFTA, and they were just, uh, you know, shoring up supplies. But I think it does point to the fact that, you know, we we are competitive down there, and markets do, you know, respond to competitive pricing from the United States, Mexico, the concern is still there. The pressure from competitors is still there and increasing. But right now, we've been able to fend off that competition for the past couple of months. But going forward, we're going to watch that like a hawk.
0: I have to believe that our location plays a role and our infrastructure plays a role with Mexico. But how difficult of a paradigm shift if they wanted to begin sourcing more from Brazil and Argentina? Is that a heavy lift? It's a heavy
1: lift in some cases, but there are Mexican companies who are investing in like rail sightings and things like that so that they can better receive and more efficiently receive uh, shipments from the ports inland into certain uh, destinations within Mexico. We have tremendous competitive advantage there in terms of infrastructure, in terms of long standing business relationships, and particularly in terms of price. However, we can never take any of that for granted. And, of course, the wild card is what happens with the the change of administration in Mexico. And we've been spending recent uh, weeks, uh, you know, really digging into that effect.
0: As in the last presidential election in the U.S., both of the leading candidates were pretty strong against trade. How much do the candidates in Mexico differ on their ideals of trade and trade policy that you've learned?
1: It's a little bit hard to pin them down a little bit. The leader by a wide margin, I think over 20 points right now and the elections coming up here on July 1st. So it's pretty much assumed that AMLO, as he's called, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, or AMLO, A-M-L-O for short. You know, he's said different things. Like he said, you know, he wants to look at the NAFTA agreement and have his own impact. There's a lot of interest in the Mexicans on getting this agreement done before December, when the new president actually would come into power, he said things like he wants to uh, support and reinforce Mexico. As uh, you know, uh, corn is indigenous to Mexico. We should be having more of our production uh, from domestic uh, sources and doing things on that. There's a lot of different messages coming out uh, from the from the AMLO camp. One uh, bright spot that people are looking to is that the the, the person he is sort of tabbed to become the Minister of Agriculture is well known and we think that someone US agriculture can work with. So there's a lot of unknowns there. I think AMLO has had some interesting things he's done over his career in terms of pressure or statements and, and policies he's put in place that would be seemed kind of wild um, and contrary to you know a stronger Mexico US relationship. But again, I think pragmatism may help temper those statements and those positions. So we're, you know, again, we're watching it closely. Who knows what will happen? But we're talking a lot to candidates and the the rumored top-level people, both uh, leading two candidates, talking to those people, trying to pave the way for uh, what we can do in the future.
0: Time, let's talk about NAFTA, and I know that steel and aluminum were involved, the President announcing tariffs on metals, uh, but Canada and Mexico got a free pass for a period of time while we were in intense negotiations on that North American Free Trade Agreement. Now that free pass is gone, and our White House is talking about, instead of NAFTA, maybe we just have separate deals with the two different countries. What impact would that have?
1: Well, we have to see what what comes out in, in those deals. Yeah, we've been hearing a lot about that. Obviously, we really want Agreements with both countries. I mean, both countries are really important to the producers of uh, corn, sorghum, and barley. Mexico, obviously, for corn. Canada, great market for U.S. ethanol, and and U.S. corn as well. So, you know, we have a lot of interest in seeing the NAFTA agreement get done. We're concerned about the two bilateral agreements, but um, you know, we're ready to to see what happens and see how that plays out, uh, particularly with Mexico. We're going to reserve judgment on that until we see how the negotiations play out. Again, I'm a little bit optimistic right now that we're getting closer to some sort of deal. And so uh, I'm I'm going to go with that for a while until we start to see something concrete.
0: Tom, if it doesn't happen, if NAFTA fails, if there are no separate bilateral agreements, what do you stand to lose?
1: Well, we're going to have a tough time competing in Mexico because, again, we go back to MFN tariffs, possibly. There are a lot of people who question whether that's actually going to happen or not, but we really will have to do our homework on how we can compete in there. We're going to continue to have Mexico be a key focus market for us, You know, continue to do programs with them and, and marketing programs with them to try and compete there if we're faced with a tariff. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but I think that we can fight the battle and still compete in that marketplace. But, uh, you know, we may see some slippage in our market share, which, you know, right now it's still, you know, hovering, uh, you know, pretty close to 100%. We're going to see some erosion there, which is going to be concerning.
0: Tom, over the past seven days, the headlines have been that of the president challenging China with additional tariffs and threatening more if they retaliate. And, of course, the headlines have been largely because soybeans, because China's our top customer for U.S. soy. How does the relationship with China affect feed grain producers here in the U.S.? And what of our future and the potential to satisfy growing demand from that country?
1: Yeah, China is always top of the list when it comes to future growth. We have lost corn sales in recent weeks and even recent days to China. Number one, because of the tensions, Uh, China buys much of their corn on optional origin, and they've switched origins away from the United States to uh, the Black Sea. We hear a lot of talk about the Black Sea now as it involves China. Um, So we have lost sales there. The sorghum, we're waiting to see what happens when the U.S. sorghum harvest comes off here. Will China return to the market? Actually, we have a buyer team coming into the United States in this July from China. Sort of, you know, kind of business as usual, if you will. Uh, hoping that that, that happens and we can continue to get back into the sorghum market to, to China. But, you know, the future is what is the key part of your question, Jeff. And, and, you know, wh- where, where are we going to head in the future in terms of having the United States, you know, being considered a, a good source of supply for China's feed grain needs. Chinese feed millers like buying from the United States. Uh, we have good contract sanctity, the same reasons I said earlier, contract sanctity. We deliver on time. Our grading system is well understood. Uh, we have a good reputation with feed millers. They want to buy. We're competitively priced. They want to buy from the United States. But right now, no one is going to stick their neck out and contract U.S. grain into there because the potential for what happened here a few weeks ago with the sorghum boats and, and you know, things could go wrong and then suddenly you have cargos underwater and no home. So, you know, buyers and sellers both are pretty nervous about that. We need to get the, the U.S.-China relationship straightened out. So we really support, you know, the efforts to do that. We have a lot of barriers with our trade that China put up recently. like to get those solved get get talks let 's talk, keep talking to each other, get those things solved because we we do think we can get back to some sort of you know, mutually beneficial relationship on trade, particularly for u s agriculture and particularly for the coarse grain sector
0: as clearly as the middle class in China has grown, the demand for meat has grown, the livestock herd in China has grown, and of course, that tells us the story that there is a potential for corn sales for feed grains but i would also be curious of the chinese ideal that they would move to a 10 percent blend of renewable fuel in their gasoline supply is that not a diamond in the rough of opportunity
1: oh it certainly is and it's something we are spending a lot of time working with the chinese on in fact That's an area of good cooperation right now is helping to work with China to help solve some of their environmental issues. And air pollution and water pollution are right at the top of the list. And we've had a lot of good discussions with China. We have programs coming up in July and in September to work with China on how to help build their biofuel sector, to help build their needs and satisfy their demand, to meet their goals of uh, of the the E-10 and with, do that with a role for trade. That's been our, our motto all along and it's, it has played very well. It's gotten good reception from China. It's a great opportunity for us and we're still working together on these opportunities, but the tensions are always there in the background and even uncertainties as, you know, are we gonna, people gonna be able to get visas, things like that. So far, none of that stopped anything. We're, we're moving straight ahead, hot, straight and normal. But, you know, there's always this element of uncertainty, you know, will this come to an abrupt halt? But it's something we still want to work with China on very, very closely.
0: It had to be frustrating for you in your career of working with the Chinese, of opening markets, and then suddenly have their government make a change for one reason or another, stop buying either DDGS or Bicorn or other, coming up with a reason not to trade. Equally frustrating yes. now, I would have to say, probably coming from your own government. Clearly, there is a need to clear the playing field.
1: Exactly, I, I, that's what I keep saying, Let, let's get this relationship right. Let's keep talking. Let's get these 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 tensions figured out, talked about, solved. I think when we when I talk to to you know Chinese officials, both here and in China, they're you know they're certainly is an earnestness i'm trying to make that happen but it is frustrating i mean i can go all the way back to you know 2010 when you you have it seems like the timing of these things always happens on some sort of u.s holiday and that's that's not just coincidence and so you you, you get really kind of uh you know your stomach starts churning when the phone rings on you know the day after christmas and you know what's going on and so things like that kind of get get you a little bit a uh, little bit antsy but like you said, recently now uh, now you sort of well, my gosh, you know we're now now we're at that point where people a lot of thought that trade tensions would 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 escalate 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 up to a point where we got to sit down and talk, and that's seeming, seemingly where we are right now. And for me, you know, I, I say good. We're at that point. Good, we got there. It's frustrating the ride getting there. But let's at least take advantage of this and, and talk to our friends and our colleagues there in China and our you know counterparts in China. Uh, relationships too important for U.S. agriculture. Let's get it straightened out. Let's get it right.
0: So let's look now. Maybe you can give me an update on what you have heard. In the Black Sea region, I understand they've not had good weather. I know it's affected the wheat crop, but what about feed grains? And does that play into opportunity for U.S. growers in the months to come?
1: it is a factor uh and i think we're seeing immediate effect of that in the middle east particularly in in saudi arabia where we are are continue to be very competitive uh in a in a marketplace where right about now we would expect to see uh, black sea competition starting to really erode uh, any inroads we'd made it's not happening right now and i think that yeah we're seeing that and you know so always there are questions about the ultimate capacity of that region to grow uh, uh, in terms of a competitor, um, but there is investment going in there, investment into infrastructure, investment into production to help make it happen. And so I think it's not going to go away. Right now, we're pretty competitive globally. Uh, you know, we're seeing that in Saudi Arabia, and so uh, we got to watch very carefully about how that competition expands.
0: Well, we're glad to have you back inside the u s borders recently in from Japan and Taiwan. Japan was the crown jewel of the TPP one of the reasons we wanted to be a part of that. Uh, how were you received in both countries and what opportunities do you see Tom?
1: well we're received very well in both countries uh, you know again we they're both are great loyal long-term markets I think in the feed sector things are going great. people are satisfied with the quality uh, they're satisfied with uh, you know our supply capabilities they, there are concerns about you know our competitors' supply capabilities, and they were they were talking about that. Everywhere we went, there was a pretty upbeat picture uh, in Japan and, and in Taiwan too. I think there is concern about the trade, you know, arena. I think Japan is wanting to see what happens eventually with NAFTA before they start engaging more fully with the U.S. on any kind of free trade discussion. I do know that the U.S. embassy in Japan is very strongly uh, aware and very strongly supportive. Of the agriculture relationships we in, in a trade we enjoy with Japan, and that was very encouraging, particularly on on the biofuel side, on the ethanol side. Uh, I think that we're you know we have unlocked the door to that market, and now we have to, to to open that door, and so there are good prospects for doing that. Taiwan, pretty much the same sort of picture, you know, again a long-standing loyal market to the U.S. The problem with Taiwan is that it has a great market, but it's a bit of a declining market. The population there is sort of flattening to declining. Um, And so we have to be aware of that and how can we reinvent ourselves in that market. So we're also looking there in the biofuel side and the ethanol side of what we can have happen there. A little more complex, uh, make some progress there in Taiwan. But, again, I think that we celebrated the, the 45th anniversary of the U.S. Grains Council's office in Taiwan, which... It was really a testament to long standing transformative partnerships that have helped both U.S. agriculture and Taiwan agriculture. And a strong commitment from people I've known for 30 years, you know, hey, great to see you, glad you came here, let's let's expand our business, we really enjoy working with you. So, you know, it's good to hear, you know, it's kind of a, a little bit of a, a vacation from some of the other tensions we've been uh, seeing on the trade front, and so we can't ever forget about our, our really good loyal markets out there.
0: Well, Tom Slate, we want to thank you very much uh, for your service to agriculture. You and the Grains Council traveling the globe over to provide opportunities for our feed grain producers. We thank you for your service. Thank you for your time on this edition of Open Mic. Uh, Tom, it's Open Mic, and you get the last word.
1: Well, thank you, Jeff, and I always appreciate visiting with you. Um, I think that this is a very important time for U.S. agriculture to pay close attention to the headlines, pay close attention to what's happening around the world. The developments in Korea, the developments in NAFTA, the developments in China all have an impact on your futures and how we can position ourselves for the markets that lie ahead. And the markets at Lionhead are very important. They are very uh, encouraging, and I think that we're well positioned to take advantage of those uh, globally, both as a, com- as a as a strong competitor, a strong provider of feed grains and co-products. And I just think it's it's time for us to really pay close attention to get these relationships right, to get these negotiations concluded, and keep our our negotiators well informed of the importance of trade to agriculture and of the bounty that lies ahead for agriculture with strong international engagement
0: our thanks to tom slate president and ceo of the u.s grains council our guest this week on open mic agripulse open mic is brought to you by bayer learn more about the bayer bee care program at bhealth.bayer.us for agripulse i'm jeff Alley.